Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and you click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that particular chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the, the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. If you click the link and download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, and if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll, you will see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so. You can do that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. And or you can send us an email, which is tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org that's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g and if you do that we will address a comment or question or a testimonial on the show 
and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we were able to do that so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. We greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that, whether you call live and and um, press 1 on your phone or you send us an email because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's far easier to do when we know how things are landing for you, what's fitting, what's working, what's resonating well, what's not resonating so well and not working so well for you, whether it's in the application of the tools or the understanding of the dynamics that allow these tools to be so effective. Either one is a wonderful topic for any of our shows, and um, we appreciate getting any input from you about how to be more directly in alignment with what might be useful to you. I um, I had a, a couple of different sessions yesterday where um, powerful things were happening and people were getting movement and then getting stuck. And um, in one situation, um, the gentleman came in and said, okay, so I was doing this worksheet. There's a series of worksheets, and um, it was working, it was helping, and then I hit this one worksheet, and the goal came up, and I cannot and will not cancel that goal. And he said, so I need your help because there's no way I'm going to cancel that goal. And so this launched us into a discussion about what is this goal-canceling process? What does it mean? Why do we do it? How does it function? What's the purpose of it? And that's something I wanted to talk about today because it was so... It led to such a um, impassioned discussion with this patient last night who is you know, clearly invested in improving his life, using whatever tools he can find to do that, and um, and yet he'd hit a brick wall, and he realized that he wasn't going to be able to continue to use the tool, which has really helped him a lot in the past. So he was searching for answers. So the beginning of the discussion on why would I cancel a goal that is a perfectly good goal. In this case, the goal that he decided he was never going to be able to cancel was the goal for his wife to respect him. And then he said, that's the foundation of any good relationship. I'm not going to give that up. Now, if you've listened to this show before and if you've If you haven't done it, I encourage you to go to the website, Michael, Michael and Jeannie, of the W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org website. And when you, and you go there and click on the Start Here button in the upper left-hand corner, on that next page, if you see it right away, you can click on the thing that says PowerPoint. If you don't see it, scroll down, you know, look for the PowerPoint, or you go to their YouTube and you search for PowerPoint presentation, Aramaic Forgiveness. 
And that 24-and-a-half-minute PowerPoint helps answer this question. What's the purpose of a canceling a goal? Why do I cancel it? Do I cancel it because it's bad? Can I reestablish it once I've canceled it? Is it a lifelong thing if I cancel the goal? I can never go back and reset that goal. All of those kinds of questions are important because here this gentleman is saying respect me respecting her and her respecting me is the foundation of any good relationship. I have to agree, absolutely agree. So then why would I cancel the goal for my wife to respect me? I cancel a goal because as I hold that goal, it loads my mind-body energy system with thoughts that I pour mind energy into that generate a negative emotion. They generate a tension, an anger, a fear, a hurt, a sadness, a grief, a guilt. Any of those tight, tense physical sensations or emotions that we put in the category of unpleasant or negative, any of those that get generated when I'm holding on to a goal or when I'm focusing on a particular thought pattern, those are things that can best be used by me as an indication that my thoughts are off the mark. My thoughts are off the mark. Then the other thing we talk about is that when I have an emotion, it's just energy and it's information. It's got really good information for me. So how do I use it? Do I have a a thought pattern that leads to a negative emotional state and then I believe the thoughts. No, that's not very useful because that's going to lead to what David Bohm calls sustained incoherence. It's doing something that is incoherent, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't produce the results I want, and then deciding I'll just keep doing it, hoping the results will be different. So, there's a, a line from The Course in Miracles that says something to the effect of, I'm never upset for the reasons I think I am. And the same sentiment is found in several places in The Way of Mastery. And in the process of this discussion with this patient last night, I heard myself saying, I am never upset for the reasons that my mind is telling me that I'm upset. A little later on, I heard myself say, whenever I say, I know why I'm upset, and I'm still upset, the truth is, in that moment, I have no idea what is causing my upset. That whatever my mind is telling me I'm upset about is a distraction. It is the sustained incoherence that David Bohm talks about that Michael Rice put on his seven-step worksheet. So what do I do? Upset, anger, psychological fear, etc. All of these emotions and physical sensations of tension and discomfort are best used by me as indications that my thoughts are off the mark and that my mind is, quote, lying, close quotes, to me. 
it's telling me something that's not true. It's only partially true. It's at a very surface level. It doesn't see the whole picture because if I saw the whole picture, my upset would dissolve. And if there were something for me to do at the conscious logical level to improve my situation, I would see what it is and take action on it and then be done with it. And so if this happens, if I have anger, fear, anxiety, upset, running in my brain, I'm not talking about that survival level reflex to get out of the way of a falling rock or someone attacking me, that, 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 this is not about that survival response and reflexive reaction. This is about spinning thoughts in my mind, fearful of, oh, I've got a dentist appointment tomorrow, or they're going to pull some wisdom teeth in a couple of days, and oh, how bad it's going to be. That kind of thing is best used as an indication by me that old stuff is bubbling up and my thoughts are off the mark and my mind is trying to tell me that I'm worried about something in the future that hasn't even happened or I'm upset about something from the past that's already done and can't be changed and that is never the truth of what's causing my upset. And when that happens, the best course of action for me is, as the Course in Miracles says, open a curtain in your practice. Put aside everything you think you want, your trifling treasures put away, and leave a clean and open space for something new to come. They call it, in the Course in Miracles, it says for the Christ mind to come. But essentially it's for something other than my conscious logical mind to bring me a new perspective. Ask to be shown an entirely different way to, quote, see, close quotes, to understand, to feel, to gronk it at a whole new level. What's really causing this upset? Because the other thing that we understand in this work is my upset is always an inside job. Years ago when I first got introduced to this work, Dr. Michael Rice would talk about how we have a test Nowadays, when he talks about it, it isn't as as clear as it, as it was either the way I remembered it or the first way he said it when I was listening to him. But how do I tell if the emotions I'm experiencing in any given moment are things that I'm causing or they're being caused by someone or something outside of me? The way I can tell that I'm the one causing my emotions is if I'm feeling them, I'm causing them. It's that direct. It's that simple. If I'm feeling it, it's being caused inside me. This experience of life is self-directed. So instead of just saying, I'm never upset for the reasons I think I am, I've now taken to saying this, I am never upset for the reasons that my mind is telling me I'm upset. And this just shakes the rafters because who am I or what am I supposed to trust if I can't trust my own mind? And that was the response of the person last night. What do you mean if I'm upset I can't trust my own mind? I mean just that. 
I mean that if I'm triggered to upset, I can instantly know I'm not seeing the whole picture. I am not able to determine in this moment what's best for me or the other people involved that I truly care about. And when that happens, it's time to invite another source of input, another source of understanding or clarity. It's time to ask to be shown a different way to look at my situation. It's time to understand that this conscious logical mind that I've been given is just a programmed, like a hard drive on a computer. It can only record what's been programmed into it and then spit it back when it's called up. It's not the creative genius. The great creative minds have been telling us this for centuries, if not thousands of years. Einstein talked about how, you know, the the things that he did, they were... Well, one of his ways of talking about it is we've been given a precious gift, which is this intuitive mind, this, this connection to the creative flow. You might call it Jung's, you know, collective unconscious, etc. But we've been given this precious gift, which is creativity, insight, inspiration. And we've been given a faithful servant, which is the conscious, logical mind. And we live in a culture that has forgotten to teach us how to tap into that creativity and inspiration and intuition, how to practice that and strengthen our ability to rely more on this flow of creativity and inspiration. And perhaps even worse than that, in our culture, they've elevated the the conscious, logical mind to the level of master and teach us things like, and Guy Finley has a line where he says, we're taught to believe that when we're angry, what it means is we're right and the other person in front of us is wrong. And the more angry we get, the more we know, the more convinced we are that we're right and the person around us or the world in front of us is wrong. And he says, with great clarity, My anger doesn't mean I'm right. My anger only means that in that moment, I don't know what rightness is. When I'm angry, when I'm raging, I can't tell up from down. This is why trial attorneys always try to get the witness for the opposing side who's on the the witness stand and they're cross-examining, they always try to get them into a state of imbalance or hostility or fear or hurt or confusion. Why would they want to do that? Because they know that's when we as human beings make mistakes. When we have a negative emotion active in our minds or a negative thought about ourselves or somebody else, we can instantly know three things. This is from the bottom line observations I hand out to patients. Number one, it's a liar based on a falsehood. Number two, this is an old tape playing. It's not about what's going on in the present moment. 
or as it came to me to say last night, I'm never upset for the reasons my mind is telling me I'm upset. I am never upset for the reasons my mind is telling me. It's always, always off target when I'm upset. And the third thing I can know is if I take an action from it or I sit and spin with it or I speak from that negative thought or negative emotion, I'm just going to make my life situation worse. I can't possibly improve my life situation by sitting and spinning in negative thought, speaking or acting from that negative thought or emotion. came to me to say, that's the equivalent of dumping garbage on the buffet table right before dinner. It's not going to enhance the dining experience. My life can't get better if I'm acting from rage, hurt, fear, sadness, confusion, bitterness, resentment, shame, guilt, etc. It cannot get better when I act from those energies. It can get better if I recognize that those energies are the warning signal from my energy system, letting me know that my thoughts in this moment are off the mark. That my perception is distorted. That right now, if I think or speak or act, I'm going to be helping the opposition. The trial attorney for the opposing side would love to be having me on the stand right now when I'm in anger, fear, sadness, or hurt, confusion, bitterness, resentment, shame, negative self-talk, you know, self-loathing thoughts. Any of those indicate that a course correction is in order. So once I have asked for that insight, once I have recognized that the culture has been teaching me something that's misaligned, it's not in my best interest, then I can choose again, as Diedrich Wolzak would call us to, as the way that the Course in Miracles asks us to do over and over and over again. Choose again. Choose again by asking to be shown an entirely different way to look at this life circumstance. Choose again, ask to be shown a different way to interpret the very same data points. I've talked about this on a number of occasions. I have people that I've been, you know, I'll say blessed to be able to work with over the years that are just really good intelligent, loving, caring human beings. And on a fairly regular basis when they're, you know, coming to see me in therapy, it's because they aren't able to see that about themselves. Most of the time and reason why people can't see that about themselves is because they're in one of those triggered states where there's a negative emotion or recurring negative thought active in their minds and there have been several times there have been a couple of them recently but I remember one in particular that this 
woman came in and was talking to me about a situation that happened just a year or two before. And she felt horrible about it. And she presented the story to me in great detail about the situation, the family dynamics, her being alone with her four-year-old daughter, this horrible situation happening, her basically being you know, a single parent at that time and, and what she was doing to try and get through this. And, and when she was done with the story, she was sobbing and crying and saying, you see, I'm just the worst mother ever to put my daughter in that situation. And I was listening to the data points she was presenting and the, the the actual literal picture in my mind was, oh my gosh, I'm sitting with one of the best parents in the world right now because of what she did, how she handled it, how she attended to the four-year-old's needs, how she shielded the four-year-old from trauma in that moment. So whenever we have a picture in our mind that leaves us feeling these negative thoughts, negative emotions, it's probably just like that situation. We are either choosing the wrong bits of information or we're arranging it in one of the many thousands of ways it could be arranged that is not accurate, that's not providing us good feedback. So the system is there to provide the tension, to provide the negative emotion, not to drive our behavior, but to wake us up to the fact that our perception is off. And another perspective is in order, and we've got access to it. We can stop and ask to be shown a different perspective. We can take a calming breath. We can do a yoga pose. We can cancel a goal. We can start doing EFT tapping. We can go for a run. We can walk into another room and, and tell the people we were interacting with that we need some time to to sort things through before we continue the conversation. Any of those that interrupts the process of thought that tells me I'm right when I'm in pain, that is not an accurate statement. That is the pure, irrefutable evidence that I'm in error. And as Guy Finley says, my anger never indicates that I'm right. My anger only, always, and forever indicates that in that moment, I don't know what rightness is. So please, think about this. Think of the many different ways that you think about it, that you could say it. You may come up with an even better way to say it than what came to me last night in this session. I am never upset for the reasons my own mind is telling me I'm upset. Because when my mind is telling me I'm upset because of X, Y, and Z, and I'm still upset, it's not the truth. Whenever anybody, when I or anybody else says, with anger, with tension, with fear, with deep grief, I know why I'm upset. In that moment, whoever is making that statement with an active negative emotion in their up in their in their senses, in their mind, it's a clear indication that they have no idea 
about the truth of their upset. Because as so many people, and the first one that I heard say this was Krishnamurti, and he said it so clearly, when I see the truth of my life situation and the upset in that moment, the upset will be resolved. It will be gone. and miracles when we truly see the actual dynamic going on that our mind-body energy system is using to generate a negative thought or emotion the upset is resolved in that same moment and if we remain upset it's just an indication that we haven't seen the truth of what's causing our upset and it might seem paradoxical. And again, if we come back to books like uh, Walk in the Physical, it says, if I believe I'm experiencing a paradox or that what I'm looking at is a paradox, the best use of that observation in the moment is that what I'm seeing is just a tiny, a, a very infinitesimal portion of the truth of what is because when we see the whole the the totality of things we will understand there is no such thing as a paradox in the true universe the universe makes sense the way it makes sense it's not going to always line up with what our conscious logical mind would say it should be and yet According to the way it's been designed, according to the way it unfolds, it all makes sense. Pretty much my offering, I feel like I'm haranguing the topic, but it it happened in at least two, if not three, sessions yesterday, and the final session that was just this very lively discussion and I think uh, some deeper insights gained by the person who kept asking okay so why would I cancel this really true loving goal and the answer is because if I load the goal in my mind it doesn't matter how true and loving it is if I'm experiencing upset it means focusing on the goal is simply a distraction it's hiding from me the true dynamic that is causing and generating my experience of upset. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. If nobody puts a hand up, I think I'm going to read chapter three, at least the definition of forgiveness from lesson three in the way of mastery, because here's another angle for looking at 
this idea of a distorted perception. Area code 610, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Kim Sue here. Welcome. Thinking of goals. Um, I was reading uh, Lesson 4 in the Way of Mastery this morning, looking for a text. I always send a little text to my support group that runs on Wednesdays. And I was thinking about that talk that you, uh, Journey's Dream, is his name Stephen Jacobs or Jacob Stevens? I can't remember which. You did an interview with somebody named Jacob. Yeah, Stephen Jacobs Stephen. and the, the idea of uh, mental health uh, support for families and friends who have mental yeah. illness going. Amazing guy. Well, I was thinking about the fact that he said even during the worst times, he had this, he came to having this awareness of a central joy inside himself, even when things were bad. And in the lesson in The Way of Mastery, they're talking about desire and he, they say in there, the only, I'm reading now on page 46, the only desire that one, that holds value in your relation is your relationship with God. And I was thinking, so how, God has always been an abstract for me. I, I try to meditate. I've been doing that five minutes with, five minutes of sitting being the Christ meditation, but that hasn't, it's mainly a, a five-minute wrestling session with my brain, but I was thinking, what is God to me? And it ends up being, I've heard it said in, uh, in the Bible, it says God is love. I was thinking, um, that is a goal to have your desire be for love, that's it. And I thought I could really imagine using that rather than God because God seems like an entity, whereas love is like a state or a choice, a direction of thought. So when you talk about goals, all of our goals should be for love, really. Ideally, yes, and you should cancel it if when you <laughs> okay. load it in your mind, if when you load it in your mind, you have fear, frustration, upset, sadness, a feeling of inadequacy, etc. And then yeah. after enough of those repetitions of canceling the goal and or working through the actual worksheet process, and you have a revelation about what was actually causing those negative emotions, then when you come back to reestablishing the goal, or as the Christian Sundberg work would talk about, refining your intent, growing your intention toward love, and you're left mm. feeling safe, connected, compassionate, joyful, blissful, then you're on the right track. And you've, yeah. removed, you've removed, at least in that moment or that state, you've removed enough of the bushel baskets or distractions from the awareness mm -hmm. that you've always been connected 
to your source. Mm-hmm. This is not about connecting to your source. This is about restoring your awareness to the fact that you and the source are one. Yeah. Restoring. That's so great. I like that word. Restoring your awareness about to the fact. Go ahead. You're thinking about? <laughs> um, I've had a lot of trouble with my hand, and I, it turns out that my my career as a pianist is pretty much looks as if it's over. Not only trouble with the one finger in my left hand, but the wrists, the tendons, one broke. And even though there's been a repair, it's just terribly weak and painful to play anything demanding on the piano. And I was thinking my goal for playing the piano, my husband says, why aren't you more upset about this? And I thought, because my goal was never for love. My goal was to get love via being admired by other people. If I was a fantastic pianist, and I loved music, but that wasn't the first desire. The desire, I love that word, desire. The desire was to get my mother's attention, basically, but anybody's attention. It became universal. People will really respect me and like me if I'm a really fantastic pianist. And then I had a revelation one day. A young friend of mine, we were all in our early 20s, she came over. She was a fantastic cook. And she said, do you think people are jealous of me because I'm such a good cook? And my mind was blown because translate cook to pianist. I could care less whether she was a good cook or not. I didn't care about her because she was a good cook. I cared about her because I cared about her for things I couldn't even name. She was just a person I cared about. So my whole purpose for being a good pianist was kind of blown to smithereens. But I still had this thing in place that I had to practice four or five hours a day. And I did. I was a good pianist. But it didn't translate. It never translated. And I'm thinking of this this guy in your group who had to give up getting his wife to respect him, it's not different. Like everything, everything has to go till you're left with absolutely nothing. And you build from there. I mean, I'm trying to do this myself, so I'm not making much sense, I guess. But here I am, you know, seeing what I can do with this hand. Can I play enough of the piano to play through the pieces that I write. Yes, I can. That's good. Can I perform my pieces? I could if I write them in a certain way that isn't too demanding for the left hand. That might be okay, but a lot of them are already written. So it all comes back to what am I doing? What is this about? And pretty much everything goes. It's like the ego has pretty much stepped into everything I've ever tried to do and hijacked my real love and purpose, which has been under there. That's what I loved about that interview with Stephen Jacobs is he said he found that in the middle of everything. When everything seemed to be lost, he found that. What an amazing thing. So you're talking about a goal, and my mind went to this reading because I just sent it out to my group. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. 
it's a wonderful couple of paragraphs on the bottom of 46. Um, I could read them, or maybe you want to read what you were going to read, because it's probably all related anyway. Well, it's a slightly different thing, and and I'm glad that you're you know bringing it up to be you know on topic because you know I keep saying please raise a hand and let us know what your particular you in particular are struggling with because that really helps us be a service, and and the idea here that when when people say let, let me let's read this axiom from the Way of Mastery Lesson Four. And here's the axiom I'll give to you. The only relationship that holds any value at all is your relationship with God, your creative source, the depth of the ocean. Now, one of the things I like about the way of mastery is it doesn't just say God. It goes on to say you're the source of your creation, your creative source, the depth of the ocean. Think about it any way you want. It's you didn't create yourself, and you don't know when you were created. You don't know what keeps your heart beating when you're asleep at night, and your and your breath moving when you're not thinking about it. And for some of us who are really lucky, their hair growing. I'm not in that category, but anyway, the, the idea is there's this functioning energy, this life force that gave rise to us and sustains us, and that we're connected to always. And call it what you will. My awareness and my conscious connection and working in concert with that energy is the most important. It says here, the only relationship that holds any value at all. Well, then it says right away the mind is going to tell you, but what about my mate? What about my parents? What about my children? What about the President of the United States? What about the Postmaster? Wait a minute. How can you tell me none Uh of these things are important? And then it goes on and says, the only one that holds value is your relationship with that creative source, that depth of the ocean, the energy which sustains your existence. For when that is in alignment, then all of your creations, all of your choices for relationships, and how you will be within those relationships, all of that will flow effortlessly from that alignment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Therefore, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. And every time I read that these days, I come back to this Guy Finley talk where he says, Let's talk about this. You know, here's this quote from the Bible. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these good things shall be added unto you. And Mm. Guy Finley says, And we think that means that if I just do what what this book is telling me to do, I'm going to get all this good stuff. Yippee! Stuff! (laughs) All the wealth of the kingdom is going to be added unto me. And he says, Mm. If you study the ancient Aramaic and Greek and the source of these words... And you come to understand at deeper levels, and you question this for yourself. He says, here's a different interpretation that's probably far more accurate than that idea that I'm going to get lots of good stuff. He says, it really reads more like love above all things, 
honor and search for and connect with, above all things, the rule of the divine life force, the divine Mm. creative intelligence. Love above all things, the rule of divine life. And it's completely equitable character. What does that mean? Balanced. Mm. And then Mm. when you do that, when you connect consciously with your source, when you value that relationship above all others, when you do that, then all of these other desires, cravings, passions shall be placed in a passive position within you. Mm. It's not about Is that acquiring. written down somewhere? <laughs> I don't I think it. so. I, I might have. I might have written it somewhere. That was good. But it, 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 it's, it's, it's from a. I've enhanced it a bit, right, for for clarity and trying to weave it into the way of mastery. But it's from a yeah, Guy Finley good. talk that that I, you know, and people say, oh, you've got such a memory. No, I listened to it over and over again. I wrote parts of it down. I committed it to memory because it was so powerful. Because Mm. he says, it's not about acquiring one single thing. It's about being in right relationship with the forces of creation themselves. And all these Mm -hmm. things you think you want shall be placed in a passive position within you. It's exactly Mm. what this way of mastery is saying once you have Mm. right relationship with your source of creation when that is in an alignment then all of your creations all of your choices for relationship all of your choice for how you will be within those relationships all of that will flow effortlessly from the alignment And then it says, do not try to create a rose by starting with the petals, but nourish the roots and the flower must bloom. So start at the beginning. What's the beginning? This now moment. Start at the beginning. What's the beginning? You are always connected to your source. There is no possibility for you to ever be disconnected from your source. And yet... You have this mind energy, you have this conscious logical mind, you have all of these conditionings of the ego and the fear of punishment and the cravings. And and when I pour too much of my mind energy into those thought patterns, I can lose track of my connection to my source. Mm -hmm. So then it says, if you are in right relationship with your creator... It is absolutely necessary to correct your perception and relationship with the energy of desire. It begins by releasing judgment in all of its forms. Mm-hmm. Totally. I judge totally, totally. this is good and that is bad. I judge this is wrong and that is right. All of it. I've got to cancel it. Mm-hmm. I've got to release it. Why? Because... It's it's thought-based. It's conscious logical. It's programmed. I can only mm-hmm. value those things that I've been programmed to value. So good. 
lesson three, it says, you know, if you could understand what happens in your body's energy system when you judge, you would never judge again. The very cells right. in your body cease to function properly. They don't take in nutrition. Mm-hmm. They don't eliminate waste. It's just like Bruce Lipton's study of cellular biology. It's a, it's a deep recognition that's in the way of mastery that sounds like it's coming right out of guy um I just said his name Bruce Lipton's cellular mm-hmm. biological study with an electron microscope mm. judgment mm. wow and as things get complicated in the outer world we have to really really home in on that to stay well it seems well, and part of it is, you know, when you say it the way you just said it, really, really hone it. It's like it's a big thing. It's like a really hard thing. And yet there's a, a, a lesson in the way of mastery, lesson 10, that's, you know, titled, The Way is Easy and Without Effort. You need to do nothing. Oh, yeah. Right, right. And so and – so, how could those two things be right? It, it seems like that's a paradox. They can't both be true, et cetera. Well, the reason it works that way, it really does work that way, is because what we've been conditioned to, what we're working so hard on, is fighting for the thoughts and conditions and the upsets and the beliefs and the values that we've been programmed And when I say programmed, I mean with both the carrot and the stick. Right? Do you, do you understand that? No, for you, well, for you, the stick was an actual whipping stick, right? For some of us, it's spanking. For some of us, it's, it's yelling, screaming, name-calling. It's the negative stuff. We want to run away from something negative. And we have the, our friends, our culture, our bullies, our, our parents, whatever, offering us these negative feedback loops if we do something that goes against the programming of the culture. And then they offer right. us hugs and kisses and rewards and, and you know toys and things if we do what they want us to do. But mm. that's the thing that's been so hard. That's the thing that's taken so much effort is to program us to not be connected to that innocence and creativity and aliveness of our infancy and our toddler years. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's what's been such a, a, a brutal and difficult road, is to take us from these effervescent, lively, creative, fun, living-in-the-moment beings to people who are afraid of their own shadow and how they don't line up with looking like other people and what is somebody else going to think about me and so it's the undoing of that that mm. takes some effort because there was so much effort poured into it but the living in the moment the breathing the softening the letting go is effortless once we've dismantled that rigorous pattern 
that, that we've poured so much energy into, the other starts to happen. This is why you've, you've got these stories of people like Edison and Einstein that used to take a nap with their hand hanging over the, the couch or the bed holding a rock or a spoon. And then oh, yeah. when they would fall asleep, the, the, the rock or the spoon would fall out of their hand and clang and it would wake them up. And they would wake up in this, um, they, they would have a shift in awareness from mm. that twilight sleep state, that just falling into sleep. And they would have all kinds of creative answers to things. And mm. they would do it on a regular basis. They would practice they wouldn't have called it this, but canceling what their mind wanted and asking to be shown something else. Going mm-hmm. into that, you know, there's that book, The Da Vinci Method. I haven't talked about it in probably several years on this show, but it's not about the Da Vinci Code. It's not about the author named Brown and the movies that were made. It's the Da Vinci Method. And it's the idea that some of us have a, a much more active, wide-open connection to the creative, intuitive, inspirational energy field than others. Mm. And we call these people artists or creatives or weirdos or whatever, shamans, you know, witch doctors, etc. Mm. But those people live in a, in a flow where they will sit around with their feet up and you know, lays around on the beach and and sit on the couch and, and eat garbage food and and they'll get criticized by the people who are work a day and they show up at a job and they work their nine hours and blah blah blah. And because oh look at how lazy that person is. But when they get an insight when it hits, this is the kind of person who can work day and night for a week and a half. You know, yeah. on, and, and hardly any food and all kinds of energy because the inspiration has hit them. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's what you talk about when you say soften, breathe and soften. You're trying yes. to bring that in. Or you're bringing it in, right? You're, you're yeah. putting aside the tension which opens the space. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's there, right? This mm-hmm. is what Einstein's complaining about. We don't teach our children well thank you you know Crosby Stills Nash and Young we don't teach our children about their insight intuition and inspiration connection and how to strengthen it but we could yeah and and some and some do and when we do that and you know to, for for my money every time i do a worksheet i'm knocking on that door yeah Every time I do a worksheet, right. I'm showing right. myself with action that I'm showing that fearful part of my mind that I really do want to see what it's hiding from me, what it has yeah. decided I can't feel. What is the insight, mm-hmm. the intuition, the bigger picture? And as I practice that, I open myself to more creativity and insight and inspiration. One of the dangers 
for me for with journal writing as opposed to doing the patter part that says I give up my intention or wish to make up another story to get what I want or say or show that I'm right. That is right at the edge of pushing through into the creative part. Journal writing, I have found, and I've done a ton of it lately, is that it can also just keep setting up the being right scene, finding ways to tell a story a different way and make make myself right again, over and over again. So I've been toggling back and forth in my own work between journal writing and then putting it to the that middle part of the pattern. Is this another way to make myself right? Yeah. <laughs> Very often it is. So, and then breathing. And well, talking. and that's why, you know, in, in, that, in that specific regard, that's where uh, a tool like Michael's mind shifter statements can be so useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and yeah. the way, of course, that, that, that he recommends using it. I mean, here's this preformed list of 13. Now he's been adding to it. I don't know what the special deal is, you know, what you have to pay or align with to get his his um, <laughs> new list. He's expanding yeah, them. Ex- cool. but, but, but he's got an original list of 13, three lists of 13 statements, so 39. Right. Mm-hmm. that are available for free off of the whyagain.org website, and it's called the Mind Shifter Tool. And the mm-hmm. way to use it to bypass your conscious logical mind and this idea that you're going to you know, journal in a way to talk about you know, how right you are when you're stuck is that you pick a number mm-hmm. from one to three, and that tells you whether you're in the first, second, or third category of 13 statements, and then you pick a number from one to 13, Without looking at the, the statements, seconds. and then yeah. you trust that that's been, you know, you've been guided to that. So you go to the, you know, you've got two and seven are your. So you go to the second mm-hmm. category of thirteen statements, and you go to the seventh statement, and you write that down, and you commit to writing about it for an hour to just see what mm-hmm. banging on that particular gong of that yeah. thought process yeah. will do. And and resonate to have spill out on your page as you're doing your journaling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, well, the brain is so funny. And, and, oh, and realize that we're we're well, we're up against our wall here. And um, oh yeah, okay, never mind. This is not important. And and, and let's yeah. let's do that another day. Uh, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks for the call. I'll mute you so you can listen in. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Your second hour today is communication part two. Gee, you know, when I saw you come in the room and do that, I thought that you were angry. Now, somebody who's defensive might jump in and say, well, I wasn't angry. You know I'm never angry. Anybody ever known somebody that plays that game? It's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I'm not saying that you were angry. I'm just saying that I have an issue, and I felt like you were angry. That's something about me. That's not about you. And then you want to identify the issue that you have in terms that makes you responsible for it. 
And so oftentimes people's communication will fit, end with, and you were angry, as though that's the problem. And the truth is, if that were an accurate scenario that you were involved in, and you were in upset, the problem is not the fact that, let's say I was angry. That's not the problem. The problem is that my anger triggered fear in you. So when you're doing the subjective observation, you're using language that reflects that this is about a reality in your mind. I'm not saying you were angry. I'm saying I felt like you were angry, and that's not the issue. What I'm realizing is that I was afraid. Now you're starting to describe your issue. And when in communication there is a conflict, there's an interesting thing that happens. We usually have two people involved in a conflict, and what happens is person one in the conflict has an issue and a problem reality. And all of the, their words try to convince person two that it's their fault. Person two at the same time has a problem reality, and all of their words try to convince the other person that it's their fault. So person one stands insisting that person two should fix what's going on in their mind. Person two stands insisting that person one should clean up their act so that person two won't have an upset in their minds. But remember when you looked at the uh, two-door igloo up there? The, the, the two-door igloo came from the content of the mind looking at the situation. And when I recognize that I have a painful reality in me, if I'm going to blame everybody else for it, probably most people are going to go in the other direction. Because most people, when they were little people, tried to fix other people's realities and figured out you can't do it. And all you can do is lose. In fact, most people, when they were this high, made up realities. When they tried to fix it for somebody else, of, it's hopeless, it's helpless, and it's all my fault. And the minute you start telling somebody else that they're responsible for what's in your mind and that you're supposed to fix it, that usually triggers in most people, hopeless, helpless, it's my fault, and they want to leave. But your communication is about wanting to keep somebody there with you. Your communication is about creating an interaction where each person can place the reality in their mind intact into the other person's mind. You do that by using words that describe the content of your mind as though you know it's the content of your mind rather than something that's all their fault. So we're turning around the communication of the world. Because when you recognize that your mind is an evidential device and you use projection communication, you made me mad, here's what happens. You hide the part of your mind with which you create your anger, and you use that part of your mind and you put it into your brain's image of everybody else. And so now all of a sudden everybody else is responsible for your anger. Guess what you just did? You made it impossible for you to ever heal your anger. As long as you hold your mind in that posture and you use projection language, you made me angry, you're saying, mind, 
Build me a reality about them that shows me that I have nothing to do with my anger, that it's all their fault. Now, the person who knows that they're responsible for their own upset, their own anger, their own sadness, their own fear, is going to use responsibility communication. And responsibility communication is going to look more like, you know, when such and such happened last night, that brought a lot of anger up in me. And I really want to be responsible for and heal my anger. Would you support me in that? Now, just check out how that feels. Let's imagine that any one of you watching this video right now or here in our audience, we're in a one-in-one -one situation. And in one case, I communicate with projection communication. You know, what you did last night was really nasty and things better change around here because you really peeved me. How does that feel to everybody? Does that warm the cockles of your heart and make you want to be right here with me and support me in my process? <laughs> Not highly likely. But let's change that to some responsibility communication. You know, last night when thus and so happened, anger came up in me. And what I know is I really want to be responsible for and heal my anger. Would you support me in that? How much easier is it going to be to stay in relationship in that situation than the one where somebody's wagging their finger in your face telling you it's all your fault? It makes the difference of aliveness in relationship and death of relationship. Now, if you think about the family home that you came from, the school system that you came up in, the entertainment world that you see, the educational world that you were in, how often in any of those worlds, when you saw two people in communication with each other over an upset, did one of them turn to the other and say, you know, when you did thus and so last night, I had a lot of anger come up in me, and I'd really like to be responsible for and heal my anger. Would you support me? How many saw that as the way behavior was modeled in your world? It's virtually unheard of in our culture. Because our whole culture is about projection language. The whole language base of our culture is, you made me mad, you made me sad, you made me afraid. It's all your fault. And so, of course, everybody's going around holding that it's everybody else's fault because they just told their minds to show them that it's everybody else's fault. Now, I have a question for you. If you lived in that world of it's everybody else's fault, how is it possible that they could be the one with the problem when you're the one with the pain? Something about that doesn't make sense. When you're in pain, you're in pain because there's an energy happening in you that doesn't belong in you. When you're in pain, it doesn't mean that somebody else did something wrong. Now, they may have. But them doing something wrong is not the cause of your pain. The cause of your pain is the fact that there is an energy in you that doesn't belong in you, and you'll keep that energy hidden from yourself as long as you use projection communication. And in fact, when you hold something painful in you that you don't want to deal with, that you don't want to look at, Here's what happens. I, I had the privilege about 20 years ago of getting to do some work with a gentleman named Marcel Vogel, who was a 23-year senior scientist from IBM. 
Marcel had instrumentation in the laboratory with which to take the picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. Literally, if you hold something painful in you that you don't want to deal with and that you keep doing projection communication about, every time you communicate about it, that energy in you is intensified. Marcel Vogel would be able to take a picture of that intensified energy. And that intensified energy sets up a wave that literally resonates or draws somebody to you to play that out with you. And so by using projection communication, you guarantee that more and more and more people are going to come and do whatever it is that you don't want to have done with you. In fact, if there's only one person on the planet who's capable of playing that dynamic out with you, you're going to set up a resonance that will draw them to you. If that one person is in China today, they don't know what it is, what the energy is that inclined them to get on an airplane and go to New York and arrive there the same day you happen to be going to New York. They don't know what the energy was that inclined them to walk down the incorrect hallway and meet you at the corner and do whatever the behavior was. But they're going to show up in your world because you need them in your world. Well, wait a minute. I've already got this pain in here. Why do I need somebody to inflict pain on me? What do you, you're crazy, Michael. No, as long as you've got pain in you, you need somebody who will show you your pain so that you can change your mind about it so that you can bring it forward to love and transform it. You need those people who can show you those parts of you. And life guarantees to provide you that because the purpose of life, once you put something into your structure that doesn't belong there, is to kick you right square in the limitation, to show you exactly what you're holding on. And when you hang on to that, when you hang out with that continuously, you're always drawing somebody in to play it out with you. So if I come in looking angry and you go into terror when I throw the eraser, your issue is not my anger, and that's where most people want to stop. Your issue is your terror. Most people don't ever go that far in their own minds as to identifying their issue. They stop short with, well, the problem is what they did out there. No, 100% of the time, if there's pain in you, the problem is what you're feeling in here. And it's not until you communicate accurately that your mind can show you that. And once you communicate accurately and your mind can show you that, then and only then can you correct that part of your mind. And so, the subjective observation identifies your thoughts and feelings, again, in terms that makes you responsible for it. And if you, the, the idea of this step is to reflect and own your reality, not to prove that your reality is true about them. And you want to get that reality that you hold... And what's the reality in that situation that we're describing? Well, gee, you know, the truth is, I realize I've got some terror. I'd rather sit here and talk about your anger and how you threw that eraser. But the truth is, what I really need to communicate about, what I really need to get intact into your mind is, that when I perceive somebody as angry, I have terror. Terror in your tissue structure 
if you don't ever deal with it, will kill you. Terror is an energy that doesn't belong in human tissue. The thoughts of terror create the chemistry that destroys the cell. When you communicate accurately, you can recapture that chemistry, that energy of that thought, and bring it forward to what was called the altar. The ancient teachings, the conscious mind was called the altar, A-L-T-E-R. That's where you can alter or change an unconscious dynamic. So as long as you keep your terror hidden, then it's eating away wherever it's stored. The idea of responsibility communication is, if I have terror in me, I want to know it. I want to access it. I want to bring it up out of my cellular structure. And I want to be done with it. There's a really powerful beatitude that goes into that. It's interesting, and again, you know, talk about translations earlier. In the Beatitudes, we're told that each of the Beatitudes starts out with a statement that says, blessed are they. Blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. This has got to be a really important idea, because this is Yeshua's first public teaching, and he uses that term repeatedly. The word, interestingly enough, in Aramaic is the word tuvehun. There is no justification for translating that word as blessed are they. None whatsoever. What it means in Aramaic is this. A latent or an unconscious neural structure implanted by God to guide you to happiness and well-being becomes your conscious possession, you who, and then what follows each, each time the word blessed are they in the Greek translations is repeated, that's what it says, and then what follows is a set of instructions for how to get that neural structure activated that the Creator put in you to start with. And the beatitude that traditionally is translated as, blessed are they mourning their wrongs, for they will be comforted. In Aramaic, here's what it translates. A latent neural structure implanted by God to guide you to happiness and well-being becomes your conscious possession. You who love truth, you who look into your errors in thought and the errors of your society, for you will be cured of mental stress. That's what he said 2,000 years ago. He was teaching you how to heal your diseases. He was teaching you how to access the mind energy that created destructive chemistry that would destroy you. And that if you love truth enough, and you're willing to look into your errors in thought and the errors of your society, what you would do, would you, you would be able to recapture that destructive chemistry that is in the cell, bring it back to mental awareness, and transform it. This is another piece that Paul had where he said, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The steps were about reaccessing hidden parts of ourselves and cleaning them up so we could heal. And projection communication guarantees your inability to heal. Responsibility communication shows you the parts of you that are in need of healing. The parts of you that you need to recapture. And by taking responsibility, and, and a lot of people interpret responsibility as, well, are you saying I'm to blame for this, this is all my fault? Notice there's nothing in the word responsibility about fault or blame. 
Responsibility is simply a tool for accessing a hidden part of your mind. And when you can access those hidden parts of your mind, then you can clean them up again. This set of tools, responsibility communication, we've done three steps out of seven, shows the beginning point of how to access hidden parts of your mind. How to get to the point where you love truth so much that you are willing to sacrifice your story about being an innocent victim and how it's all everybody else's fault. Again, the average person who has terror about what they perceive to be someone else's anger never looks at, acknowledges, or communicates about their terror and therefore never gets to clean it up. In the Aramaic language, the word forgive has nothing whatsoever to do with letting other people off the hook because you have something painful happening inside of you. And the whole communication system of our culture is used to keep things hidden from ourselves. And what we hide from ourselves is what creates our diseases. So by loving truth enough and communicating responsibly, and owning our own issues in a situation, we give our minds permission to take things that perhaps have been hidden from us for generations, bring them back to awareness. Some of those things we made up when we were two and three and four and didn't have a clue as to what was going on. Some of those things came to us genetically. It's time for us to become aware of those things again. This set of tools allows that. Let's take a short intermission. So we've looked at the first three steps of responsibility communication. And then the fourth step, you get to say what you want. Number four, what I want. And at this stage, what most people do, their natural form of communication is, of course, there's an upset, so there's some form of hostility or fear. So all they want to do is solve the problem. And the problem is, you came home angry. If you just never come home angry again, everything would be fine. So they think what they want is to solve the problem. What we're going to suggest to you at this stage is that problem solving is the last thing you want to do. Because you draw to you the experiences you have because you need those experiences and when those experiences bring pain to you, you need to be about healing your pain. You don't need to be about changing their behavior so that you never get to deal with your pain. We do a workshop called, well actually it'll be uh, the workshop we're doing this evening right after this on codependence. And what we'll see is that when one lives out of that codependent state, in that codependent state, they're limited in their behaviors. And one of the behaviors, one of the things they think will solve all their problems is if they could just control everybody in the world. And people who live out of that state of what we call non-being would simply control everybody so that nobody, nobody would approach and show them the part of themselves that they need to be responsible for and heal. And so by controlling the world, they would assure their own death.
because the energy they need to heal is their physiological disease. What we're suggesting you want to do is in coming from being, you want to own and be responsible for and find the parts of you you need to heal and with your communication enlist support for healing those parts of yourself. And so step four is a request that always relates to receiving support and healing the issue you described in number three. So what I want is, and it relates to having support for healing. And it's healing the issue identified. And you want to make sure you keep on track that you're about healing the issue you identified in number three. It's not about changing them. It's not about manipulating them. It's not about getting them to never come home angry again. It's about how do you gather support for finding the part of you that attracts that behavior repeatedly. If you utilize this as a tool to solve your problems, to get others to change, it will backfire on you. If it's used to manipulate others, it will backfire. The more specific you are in identifying your painful reality in this situation, the more powerful this will be in your healing process. And if, if you don't get the support you want. You know, at this stage when you own it, you say, gee, I had pain. This brought pain up for me. You know, there are going to be some, some people who say, all right, good. I'm delighted. That's exactly what I wanted for you. Well, that might be the place to, to start looking at what's the part of me that attracts people who don't support me? Why do I feel like I need to be in a space of no support? And it might be a place to turn to one of the other tools. You, know, you might pick up the reality management sheet. You might pick up the commitment from the Healing Through Relationships workshop. And so this isn't the only tool that we're offering. There's a whole range of tools. And, of course, this would tend to be a tool you would use more often in situations where you've got some cooperation, where you can elicit some support for healing. And so if you don't gather support, then you start looking at what's the part of me that I need to heal that feels like I don't deserve support because I'm obviously not creating support in my world. And so it becomes a big clue. Now the next step in the process of healing can be an extremely difficult step because what you have to do is you have to actually Listen to the person you're talking to as though they were intelligent. <laughs> and they might have some answers for you. Now, your mind believes that they're the problem because you're able to hide the part of you that's in need of healing. When you bring two people together that in con are in conflict, you've got two people who have painful realities that they need to be responsible for and heal. When they set up responsibility communication, they'll stop playing the game of, I think you should change my mind, and this person says, and I think you should change my mind, and so neither mind ever gets changed. 
into a cooperative effort for, where each takes responsibility and person one says, you know, I realize I have a painful reality and I really want to be about healing that. Would you support me? And person two says, and you know what? I have a painful reality too and I'd really like to gather some support for healing that. Let's join in support of doing that rather than each one standing insisting that the other one's got to fix our mind. So you actually treat this person as though they've got some intelligence and the person who can resonate the problem that you have is very likely the person who carries the energy of the solution if you can set up an actual healing situation. So the, you start number five out with, do you have any ideas? And the reason you do that is because if you're in pain, and a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I know what my problem is. If you knew what your problem was, your problem would be solved. The minute that you have a problem and you're in some kind of turmoil or pain, and you hold that you already know what your problem is, you're lying to yourself. You don't know what your problem is or you would have already taken care of it. Your non-being mind, this mind of hostility and fear, says, I know what the problem is, and that's its total projection. And so this set of tools is about bringing responsibility back and finding those parts of me that I've been hiding from myself. It's about moving out of blockage of truth into love of truth. And so you ask this question with an open mind, not a mind that thinks it already knows the answer. And if they don't give you the answer you want, you get upset with them. So in number five, it's, do you have any ideas? Now, in the situation we talked about with the eraser and all, Let's say that my response to you is, as you ask if I have any ideas, is, well, you know, let's sit down to a worksheet. We'll take the reality management worksheet from why is this happening to me again, that forgiveness process, and we'll do that process. And so we do the worksheet, and all of a sudden, boom, there you are. You discover that, gee, when I was a kid, you know, dad was an alcoholic. I was the smallest one in the family. And... Half the time when dad was drunk, he was a happy drunk and he had gifts for us all. And the other half of the time, he was an angry drunk and he beat up on us. And all the big kids in the family pushed me out when he came to the door so that they could figure out which mood he was in and whether they needed to scatter or be first in line to get the gifts he had. So that's a major issue that someone would hold in their physiology because at least half the time they went out, they got beat up. So that might be the discovery in the worksheet process for this person. And then, having discovered that, it might be time to add another solution into the healing process or another step into it. So in number six, I might feel as I get in touch with that trauma and, and the, you know, the actual body trauma of that memory, I might decide that, gee, you know, what I really need to do is do some still point breathing. Would you breathe me? So there's a place for you, once you've listened to their solution and participated, there's a place for you to offer, I think, what would help 
He is. And you might ask for support in doing a breath session. And so you've moved through a lot of issues in doing this responsibility communication. And doing one worksheet and one breath session might not be an end of having been pushed out a hundred times in front of somebody who was angry and beat up on you. So then in step seven, the final step in the process of responsibility communication is there might be need for problem solving. You know, gee, I realize that I have this issue of terror when somebody comes in. You know, I was reading that book and you came in and, gee, I, I didn't realize that you were trying out for a play and, and you had to come in looking angry and didn't even realize I was in the room. I just thought you were terrorizing me. And so how about now that we've discovered I have this issue and it might be one of my 77 times 70 worksheet issues, this isn't going to all disappear in one session. How about we problem solve here? And problem solving might look like, you know, if you have one of those bad days at the office and you're angry, you know that I'm sensitive to somebody coming home like that and surprising me. How about if you just pick up the phone before you come and say, hey, you know, I've, I've had one of those bad days. And be aware of it and don't pay any attention to what I say or do. So now we've solved the problem and we've done the healing work that's necessary. And the way that that was done was through responsibility communication. Once somebody can, without blame, put the reality that's between their ears into the mind of another person, understanding unfolds. When you couch the reality between your ears in words that make somebody else to blame, it tends to cut communication. When you can utilize responsibility communication, it gets a whole lot easier for someone to hear you. I have another letter I'd like to share with you from a young man this time who did this workshop and took these tools to address a long-standing issue that he had had with his father around alcohol. This young man, and again, I've got his permission to share this, this young man had been an alcoholic and gone through AA and several treatment programs and finally came across this work and really started to work with this work. In fact, he's taught this work. And this is a letter that he wrote his dad about responsibility communication and opening some new levels of communication with his father. And it's in response to an email that his father sent him about his sister. So he writes back to him, Hi Dad, thank you for opening the door for conversation. I would like to talk with you to clear ever more space for our relationship. My commitment is to always be responsible for my own limited views on reality and refrain from projecting my feelings onto you or anyone else. So to first answer the question, was I ticked off at you? The answer is that no, I was not. Honest. I was very conscious of what was going on for me, and it wasn't that. What was going on? Well, as you know, I do a lot of spiritual work every day, meditation, prayer, worksheets, etc. The goal of that work is simple. I hold it to be true that we are all love, and that love is our essential nature, our essence. And all we need do is forgive all thoughts or energies that are less than love, 
and we will come into full expression as the incredible people that we are. Sometimes, often, this process is not Dr. Feelgood. It requires real courage to consistently be responsible for how I feel and how I see the world, others, and myself. As you know, it takes courage to take responsibility for, and then he's got in brackets, so I can heal with God's help, feelings that are painful and may have been suppressed for decades. So yesterday, perhaps because I've been doing a lot of processing lately, some of my old painful realities kind of came up in my face. I admire your perceptiveness from yesterday because you picked up that a lot of my hostility was up and I would like to ask for your support to share it and heal it. I think the trigger for me yesterday was the glass of red wine next to you on the deck. I saw it and reacted like Pavlov's dog. In spite of myself, I was filled with this hostility from the past. I share this with you now for two reasons. One is to process my feelings, to be responsible and let go, so that whatever you do or say in the future, I will be able to hold a space of love inside myself when we're together physically, or even just in my thoughts. This is not about manipulating you or getting you to change your behavior. It's about continuing to create an honest relationship with you, especially where honesty has not existed before. The second reason is because I owe you the truth. As part of your support team, I owe it to you to speak about things that I see as potential blind spots or trouble spots. I have been bothered recently by the thought that Robin, in a significant way, Robin is his sister, has been a more faithful daughter to you than I have been a son. She spoke her honest thoughts to you, specifically about drinking, regardless of what feelings or reaction it might trigger. Her intentions may or may not have been loving ones, but my intentions are supportive and loving for both of us. Dad, for years, my brother and I have treasured the opportunity to go with, to you with our life's challenges. I will continue to love and to turn to you. We have also known that we had to do it during the day, preferably a work day, because you're just not the same person at night or on Sunday afternoon. This is because of alcohol. There is a shift in you after you've had two or three drinks. Not every time, maybe, but certainly sometimes. There is often a strongly sarcastic energy, sometimes only toward the TV, that comes out that is not present in you when you're sober. Why did this glass of wine bring up so much hostility in me yesterday? I can only guess that it has to do with suppression over many years. I have come to recognize this as a family motto. It's been passed from generation to generation. I noticed it on the phone when I was offering mom support in her effort to stop drinking. She admitted that she felt angry at the fact that I even brought it up. Imagine that. After all I've been through with detox and AA and all, I've been humbled completely in this area. It's still not permitted in our family culture for me to offer support to mom in her, her effort to drop alcohol. That happened two days ago and it brought some tender feelings up for me. 
I see it in comments from my grandmother regarding a book about the Irish and Southie. She told our cousin, that never happened. Nobody ever did that. That book was a Pulitzer Prize winning autobiography of a child's memories. Of course it happened. This is how our brains work though. If something is painful, we think we can make it go away by condemning even the thought of it. Can you imagine saying to Nanny when you were a child, Mom, I'd like to have a serious talk with you about the way you talk to Dad. It really brings pain up for me when you say harsh things to him. I don't think you ever had a safe relationship with either of your parents to do what we now have the opportunity to do. I honor you and Mom for creating a family structure that is so loving that I am now sending you this note. You and Mom have done incredible work for our whole family line. Also know that our relationship and our family is more important than any issue. I am in it forever, and as a friend once said to me, in it to win it. We can win as a family by always growing in love. In too many families, these things get taken to the grave, literally. I can remember being a child and even mentioning a word about mom drinking and being harshly treated for bringing up that subject. It was taboo and not my place as a child to talk about it. I learned that it wasn't safe to discuss. When I got older, I learned that I could express ideas that seemed unsafe by using sarcasm. Now I know the devastating effects on my own body of using sarcasm. The word actually comes from a term that means to tear flesh. It is as destructive to the body as smoking is, I suspect. So I don't do it anymore, and when I'm conscious of my behavior, I change it. You only need to listen to Uncle Bob on any given holiday to notice how sarcasm is a means of expressing hostility that we have each been raised to suppress. So that's all part of what was going on for me yesterday. I would like to talk about it with you in a positive space. I also, in a general way, will commit to getting out of your face. I've noticed, and I didn't like it, my own behavior at the beach house telling you you have to, be, you have to change if you want to be healthy at 77. That was a stupid approach to you and not who I want to be. I promise to work toward always giving you the space to do and be what you choose as I now have the space to do and be what I choose. I guess this is all about letting go of resentment that I created in myself because I felt I couldn't be honest with you in a safe way. If it's not appropriate for me to be around you in a certain state, I'll make sure that I make the choice for myself and find something else to do. I imagine that this saying, this statement, pardon me, I imagine that this statement may bring up some tender feelings for you. If so, notice that I'm always there to support you. I'm always committed to being your son to the best of my ability. So if you're feeling something like, son, I know drinking is not the healthiest choice for me. I have thought about stopping, but I think my life works fine with it and I enjoy it. Then I can support your right to choose and I begin to truly mind my own business. Knowing that you know where I stand and being free from pretending it's not a factor in my life or our relationship because it's been a huge factor. I'm 33 now, I'm responsible for me. You are responsible for you. 
in that, that context, I'm ready to start again and support you in any way I can with love. How many of us have ever had a challenge with a family member that included issues at that depth? Maybe not that particular issue, but issues at that depth. And the minute we opened the door to communication, the communication was about blame and what they had done and how they destroyed. Do you see the shift that takes place when this young man has the courage to take responsibility? And as you think about the stages and the steps in that letter, how huge the issues are that he's just finally faced at the age of 33 and worked through right there in two pieces of paper. Issues that, as he says, oftentimes go to the grave with us. Communication is such an important key in our relationships that without it, relationships wither and die. Projection communication causes the death of relationship. Responsibility communication not only brings relationship back to life, but it opens the internal dynamics of the person who's doing the responsibility communication so that the hidden parts of their minds can be seen. And when those hidden parts can be seen, they can be changed. We can move out of the world, I'm right, you're wrong, it's settled, why argue? And as we do that, we can undo a lifetime of issues that have come from a multitude of generations. Because on an energetic level, we inherit the ways of dealing with things that our parents had and their parents and their parents. And we tend to pass those on to our children. When you recognize that the mind is an evidential device, and you start to speak responsibly through it, you give it permission to see evidence totally differently. How many young men have raged at their fathers for their alcohol use and shattered their family systems? That letter that I wrote earlier, how many people in business situations, when they were unjustly accused, which that young woman obviously was unjustly accused, how many people just destroy what potentially holds great gifts for them? And as she was able to utilize responsibility communication, she opened some doors in business situations that otherwise she could have just slammed shut and been angry about for the rest of her life, held resentment about. And resentment, I would offer, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of... Um, conversation in the culture these days about flesh-eating bacteria, guess what's going to create an environment on a cellular level for that kind of an organism to thrive? That's exactly the thing that's going to create the ideal environment. You know, there's that old saying, if you feed them, they will come. When you put an energy into tissue, we talked about Bruce Lipton, cell biologist, you think a thought, produces a neuropeptide, the neuropeptide becomes the chemistry. If you put destructive chemistry into a cell, that cell starts to deteriorate and that cell becomes food for 
the bacteria that go along with deterioration. When you can recapture through responsibility communication, that which when we look at the tiny, you know, a, 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 an energetic wave, they talk about the quantum waves, a quantum wave when collapsed into a cell that is of a destructive nature looks like a thing we call a chemical. But when we can communicate, what we'll find is when we take that out of suppression in the cell, we stop the deterioration of the cell, we access and bring it from its collapsed so-called chemical condition back to the wave, and the wave can then be removed from the structure. In the ancient Aramaic language, removing from your structure those waves that never belonged in a human structure becomes key. And the forgiveness process. If you haven't done the workshop, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? I suggest that you get some materials on that workshop. You can go to our website, download and read the book for free. Get the instructions on the forgiveness process. It shows how to take all of those waves that we've collapsed into our chemistry that supports because there's degeneration happening and there's certain organisms that feed on degeneration that supports us being able to access those parts of ourselves and bring those parts forward for healing. When you unload what does not belong in the cell, the cell will naturally go back and rebuild itself. Because, you know, if you look back, you know, people will say, well, this person has a diseased heart or lung or liver or what have you. If you go back to the single cell at conception, there was no heart, no lung, no liver. What was there was an energetic pattern and an intelligence that built out of that energetic pattern a heart, a lung, or a liver. If someone puts into that heart or lung or liver an energy that doesn't belong there, then a degenerative process starts to take place, which we call disease. And all that's happening in that degenerative process is the power that continuously—pardon me—the power that continuously rebuilds each organ. You know, if you look at soft tissues, depending whose numbers you take, somewhere between 60 and 120 days, every cell of every organ in your body, the soft tissue in your body, is totally regenerated. It's totally rebuilt. Now, it is either rebuilt according to the original perfect set of instructions, or if you've overlaid hostilities and fears upon it, those, those instruction sets are deteriorated and the resulting organs are deteriorated. When we can go back and recapture those energies with forgiveness and with responsibility communication, we literally remove those instruction sets that cause the deterioration and the next generation of cells come out healthier. Now, most people think that that process has to do with time because usually they watch it happening over a period of time. Well, you know, 10 years ago, this guy had a healthy liver and here he is now and it's degenerating. It must be because there was 10 years in between. Well, it's interesting in the, uh, in the Chinese language, the word for liver is the same word as the word anger. 
And if someone is continuously loading their liver up with anger, then their livers will start to degenerate over time. But time has got nothing to do with it. It's got to do with the qualities of energies that go in and interfere with the instruction sets for rebuilding. Responsibility communication allows you to recapture those instruction sets. And if they're no longer appropriate, if they come from hostility or fear and do not support your being, then by recapturing them, you get to forgive. You get to remove what never belonged in your structure in the first place. And that's the whole goal of this work, is to take us to the point where we can do that. Now, if you're going to take this set of tools, or as you take this set of tools, one of the things that tends to happen is people take real-life situations where they have real-life emotions, and the first time out of the shoot, they take this and they go, now I'm going to do responsibility communication with you. Guess how long that's going to last if you've got 20, 30, 40, 50 years of projection communication? It's going to last until the first emotion comes up. And you're going to be right back to the old pattern. So there's a rule that goes along with using these communication tools, responsibility communication. And I call it the rule of the three Ps. Practice, practice, practice. You want to go to work with these tools and you want to use them in a way that you're not confronting real-time emotional issues for you. So you want to pick out some silly situation. And using that silly situation, take the, the responsibility communication sheet. By the way, if you're watching this on video and you don't have a copy of the instruction set, you can go to our website, www.whyagain.com w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.com and download the worksheet. You just click on the right-hand side, there's a button that says worksheets, and you'll see that in that spot. But you take the worksheet and you follow the steps step by step and pick some ridiculous situation. You know, go to a nursery rhyme book and open it up. The cow jumped over the moon and the dish ran away with the spoon. Well, I have an issue. You know, I'd like to get this issue cleaned up, and I ask for your support in working through it. Objective observation. The cow jumped over the moon. Subjective. Now, I'm really upset because I was told that cows couldn't fly. And so I realize that I've got some upset that I'd like to heal. Do you have any ideas of how I might heal that upset? And here are some of my ideas. And by the way, it was my spoon, and I really don't like them taking my... You know, take something ridiculous like that. And what you do is you build the brain cells. If you go back to Yeshua, he said that his work and his teaching were only for those who had the eyes to see and the ears to hear. I think we can fairly safely assume that most everybody in his audience had what we called physical eyes and ears. It wasn't about the physical eyes and ears. What it was about was those who had the brain cells. Remember our conversation about the two-door igloo? In order for the man from Guatemala to even start to be able to conceive of a two-door igloo, he had to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. He had to have the information stored in brain cells so his mind could even conceive of such a thing. 
In order to even conceive of responsibility communication, you've got to build the brain cells for it. Now, we've started today in our workshop with building those brain cells. But there's a challenge in bringing this into actualization in your life. And the challenge is that you have a lot of brain cells that go in a totally different direction about communication. You have different goals for communication. There are a couple of things that you need to do if you really want to make this a functional tool for you. One is get a hold of that forgiveness process, the reality management sheet, and start to forgive. That is remove those old goals that have you going in another direction, using communication for blame or to overpower somebody or to win or whatever it is that you've used your communication for in the past. And then build the brain cells for what responsibility looks like. Build the brain cells for what it looks like to describe the reality that I hold in my mind with words that indicate that I know this is my reality and it's not about you. When I can do that, I will recapture a thousand generations of insanity from my past. And as I recapture and put an end to those generations, you know, you might remember that story about Moses and that whole group wandering in the desert for 40 years. Does anybody remember what had to happen in order for them to get out of the desert and into the promised land? They said the old generation had to die off. That didn't mean everybody in old physical bodies had to physically die. The root of the word generation is genari. It means cause. All of the old causes held in brain cells from the previous generations had to be uprooted. This is how to go directly to what needs to be uprooted. Uproot it and create a safe community of support around you for healing those dynamics in yourself. There's a very powerful proverb that comes out of Africa. And what that proverb says is if you want to go far go together. If you want to go quickly, go alone. Most people don't go very far in cleaning up their genetic past, their generations, if they try to do it on their own. They've got to be part of and build a community of support for being able to work through that. And that's what these tools are about. That's what these tools are for, is to undo the parts of our minds that don't work, that don't really support us, to uproot the generational patterns that keep us locked into hostility or fear. Our normal state as human beings is that of aliveness, joy, and creativity. Your structure, I would offer, is a custom-designed device that is designed to experience the active presence of love on a cellular level 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why is that? It's because you are made of the stuff called love. You live, move, and have your being in the stuff called love. Now, I've had people say, well, gee, Michael, you know, if I'm made of love and I live, move, and have my being in love, and the Creator is love, why don't I feel it? Oh, you, being gifted as a Creator, have created for yourself other gods. 
And those other gods, when they are active in your mind, create graven images of hostility and fear. And you hold those graven images of hostility and fear before the love that you were designed for. If your generations have taught you to do that, then you have an habitual way of behaving that maintains the gods you worship most. And your feelings will tell you which gods you worship. You know, something unusual or something wonderful about the human being is that we're the only creature we know of that has the power of choice. We're the only creature we know of that can originate consciously mind energy. Every other creature's got to obey. There is no other creature that can make new choices like we can, at least not that we know of. You know, you're not going to find a pair of robins that come home here after the winter is done and land in your backyard, and one of the robins turns to the other and says, you know, dear, we come to this beautiful backyard in Oklahoma City every year, and every year we come here, we build a robin's nest. I think this year we should build an Oriole model. I was looking at one of those when we were down in Florida. You're not going to find a robin that does that. The robin has within it the brain cells, the vibration, the guidance system, to build a robin's nest. It can't change its mind. You are not going to find a salmon swimming in the warm South Pacific waters and it, when it gets the call that says, say what? What was that you wanted me to do? Let me get this straight now. You, you want me to swim away from these nice warm South Pacific waters, uh-huh, 3,000 miles, yeah, to that icy cold stream in which I was spawned. Uh-huh. And then what is it you want me to you want me to swim upstream against the current? Yeah. Get let me get this clear. You want me to get beat half to death on the rocks, lay eggs, die, and as my body breaks up, the hatching eggs will eat my flesh and become the next No, I think I'll stay here. You're not gonna find a salmon that says I'm gonna stay here. It's going to do exactly what it was told to do. Because it can't originate mind energy. You were the only creature that was given the ability to engage in original creation. And if you and or your generations have engaged in the creation of a mindset of hostility and fear, it's time to change your mind. You were made for the embodiment of love. It's the stuff each newborn is made of. It is what you are made of. I join you and support you in being loved in the world.